If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. Now, of course, our, our primary text today, we're continuing on through Psalm 119, will be in Mem, that's verse 97 through 104 of Psalm 119. But before we dive in there, there's a theme that is clear in the Gospels, it's all through Scripture. But I want to zoom in on it in Luke chapter 10 before we walk through this Psalm 119 text. And as you listen to Hunter's testimony, the beginning of our service, there is in our lives and before us, each and every one of us, male or female, regardless of your age, there is an option. And that is to, to come before God as little children by faith, to abide in Him by faith, to come and to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to turn and to trust in Him, to, to take the position of a, of a little child trusting in Jesus Christ and following after Him and, and living by the wisdom that comes from God. Or the second option that we're going to see in this Luke 10 text is to be a self-justifier, one who aims to justify themselves. Now, in our text that we're going to read, verse 20 through 29 of Luke chapter 10, we're going to note, and I want to keep fresh in your mind, the very first words of Psalm 119, verse 97, where the psalm writer says, Oh, how I love your law. He loves the law. He loves the Torah. He loves the teaching of God. He loves the law of God. And in this interaction that Jesus is having in Luke chapter 10, he sends his disciples out. He sends 70 to 72. He sends them out. If you remember back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus gives us this statement that we've heard consistently in our services. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would deny or desire to come after me, to follow after me, you must, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In the following chapter, Jesus sends out the 72 and in sending them out, he gives them various commands of what they ought to do and ought not to do. And they come back to him now. They've gone out, and now they've returned, and they are pumped up. They're amazed. They're excited because when they were going out, they were doing unbelievable things over the enemies of darkness. They're casting out demons and doing amazing things. And that's where I want to be fresh in your mind. The psalm writer starts off in this letter, Mim, Oh, how I love your law. And now we interact with one. We're going to interact with one that Jesus interacts with right after this who knows the law of God. He's a lawyer. He's one who knows the law of God. So, for context, begin in verse 20 of Luke chapter 10. Again, little children or self-justifiers. It's our choice. It's your choice. Jesus says to his disciples who just came back, the 72, he tells them, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. So those of the world, those that are wise and understanding according to the way of the world. And, and instead, you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And that's Jesus, the Messiah, the one who had come, they had prophesied of and foretold of. Now look at this. 
So he calls them, he refers to his little children, those that will receive it, those that will be great, those that know the Lord, he calls them little children. These 72 men that he sent out, little children. And now here we have one in verse 25. Remember, keeping in mind, Psalm 119 is going to begin, Oh, how I love your law. We have one that supposedly loves the law of the Lord. But he misses it. Verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, But, does, but he, this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, and who is my neighbor? And the story continues on with the, the Good Samaritan statement that Jesus gives. And he says, Now go and do that. Go and do likewise. So we have one who knew the law of God, one who knew Psalm 119 better than we do, one who knew it in Hebrew, who would have memorized it. He knew the law of God. He knew the Torah. He knew the Scriptures. But he missed the one to whom the Scriptures are about. He was not as a little child, even though he knew the Word of God. He was a self-justifier. The picture we have this morning is a choice before all of us. In Psalm 119, as you flip over to that section, as we begin to walk through this, the first four verses of Psalm 119 are going to give us an insight into what it means to be one who abides in the wisdom of God. God makes available to every one of us the opportunity as little children to receive the wisdom of God. And in receiving the wisdom of God, those who abide in God will see what the Word of God, the wisdom of God, works through our lives what the Word of God, what the wisdom of God will do for you and for me. And then the final four verses, he's going to explain how that takes place. So this is what the Word of God, the wisdom of God will do for us, those who abide in the Word of God in Christ. This is what it will do, and this is how it will do it. First four verses, this is what the wisdom of God does. This is the opportunity for every one of us to become little children of God, to say, I, I desire by faith to be a little child of God. Though a grown man, a grown woman, I desire to be a little child of God. I desire to be wise in the eyes of the Lord and foolish in the way of the world. Or you'll desire to have wisdom and be wise and have understanding in the way of the world and a self-justifier before the Lord. If you have your Bibles, let's begin first and foremost as we notice verses 97 through 100 that the abiding wisdom of God in Christ, it will make little children like us truly wise. The abiding wisdom of God in Christ will make little children like us truly wise. Well, how wise? How wise will it make us? First, we see that it will make us wiser than our enemies. The Scriptures teach that if you will come to faith in Christ as a little child, Abiding in Him. The Word of God, the Lord will make you wiser than your enemies. Read verse 97 and 98. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment, it makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Now this, this strophe, strophe is just a poetic paragraph. Remember, Psalm 119 walks through Hebrew letter after Hebrew letter after Hebrew letter. And each of those eight verses begins with that Hebrew letter. And this strophe in particular, there's, it's unique because there's no requests. 
He doesn't seek God. He doesn't ask God for deliverance. He's simply stating, this is what the wisdom, this is what the Word of God will do in your life, will do in my life. He's declaring it before God. This is what the wisdom of God does. And he declares this statement, the benefits of being a recipient of the wisdom of God. It makes me wiser than my enemies. He's the blessed man. I didn't put it in here at all, but you can write down Psalm 1. Psalm 1 echoes through almost every one of the 150 psalms. Some have argued Psalm 1 is the, the key by which all the rest of the 149 really accentuate in a greater detail. But in Psalm 1, in Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. The psalmist meditates on the word of the Lord and the law of the Lord day and night. And it produces in his life wisdom beyond his enemies. Wisdom beyond his enemies. He's wiser than his enemies. Now, as we think back to that Luke 10 text, as the 72 are sent out, who are they wiser than? They have more power because they're in Christ than even the demons. The spiritual forces, the fallen spiritual forces, they're pumped up. They come back and they say, unbelievable, we're able to cast out demons and, and work these miracles in your name, Jesus. They're beginning to put the dots together to who Jesus is. He's more powerful than anything. He's the God-man. And the psalmist experiences that in a very real and practical way. He says, I am wiser than my enemies. As the disciples who came back and said, incredible, we're able to cast out power over demons. Spiritual enemies. Jesus says, blessed are you, right? Blessed are you as you realize this. You realize who I am, that your name is written in heaven, that you know me, as Jeremiah 9 is going to say. But for the psalmist, his enemies are those, the, the wicked, the scoffers, the ones identified in Psalm 1 as well. But the ultimate enemy that he faces is not person, the ultimate enemies that we face, that the Lord's wisdom makes us wiser than, regardless of your age, regardless of your area of temptation. The wisdom of God makes us wiser than spiritual and demonic forces of this world. The enemy behind our enemy, we might call it. The enemy behind our enemy. That's where we ultimately need to set our sights. So when, when you hear the word enemy, don't think of Joe from accounting. Don't, don't think of that person that you think, I just really, oh, I can't stand that person. The enemy that we're ultimately stronger than and wiser than is the ultimate spiritual forces. Look over in Ephesians 6. I'll give you a minute to flip there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. You're likely familiar with it. The idea in Psalm 119 and, and Mem in this letter is that we're wiser than the authorities of the authorities who are against us. We're wiser than the other ways we're tempted to live our life. So all the paths by which we have to live our life, there's only one true path, there's only one true way, the way of, of the Lord, the way of Yahweh, the way of His Torah, the covenant, the commandments that He's given us by which we have relationship with Him. Today, by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and all the other ways... Are false ways. And many of them are being enticed by spiritual demonic forces that lead them there. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, Paul writes towards the end of the letter, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against who? who? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I struggle to believe this in my life. True confession here. I struggle to believe that a lot. My temptation is to want to put a person to make them my enemy. As natural as two sports teams, that's my enemy. That's your rival. To look at another man or another woman, another person and say, you know, that person is my enemy. Our country is losing so much civility when it comes to politics that so many, even in the church, are making the mistake of making our enemy another political person. And we make the person our enemy. And we ignore what's said in Ephesians chapter 6, the schemes of the devil, the ultimate enemy. And don't make the mistake to to hate a person when we're to be doing war with the ultimate enemy. I was so convicted one time, this is a couple years ago. I watched a lot, lot more news back then. And I was asked a question. My mature brother, he just asked me a simple question. He said, do you pray for the politicians as much as you talk about them? The answer was, what do you think, right? How different would we look with instead of being enticed that we move to prayer? We prayed for our leaders on all scopes, present and future, We pray that God would bless with repentance and a fear of God. And that we likewise would not pay the cost of real relationships for political points. We would love our neighbors, we love others around us enough to say, hey, will you come over for dinner? Don't sacrifice real relationships for political clout. For the wisdom of God, little children, makes us wiser than our enemies. Oh, how the schemes of the evil one must laugh and desire us to hate other people, to despise them and to rip the people apart. But the wisdom of God calls us to a higher battle. We battle not against flesh and blood. So don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. The true enemy we battle is a greater enemy. And when the disciples in Luke chapter 10 experienced the victory of going out over a greater enemy, not the person demonically possessed, but the demons by which they cast them out, they came back charged and pumped. And Jesus says to them, hey, hey, don't don't even celebrate in this. Celebrate even more that your names are written in heaven, that you know me. Celebrate that you know me and I know you and you're mine. That must be our battleground. The spiritual dynamics. So the wisdom of God, little child, makes us wiser than our enemies, but it also, in 99 through 100, it makes us wiser than our educators and elders. It makes us wiser than our educators and our elders. That's wisdom available at every one of our fingertips. 99 through 100. The psalmist continues, he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. 
The wise way of living of the, of the Scripture meditating psalmist, it has made him wiser than all his teachers. Those of you that are teachers right now getting ready to go back to school, you're thinking, I wish my kids would read Scripture then. So even though the psalmist is, is younger than his teachers, he has not had as much time to read or to think about those things, by, by taking the Word of God, the wisdom of God, and dwelling on it and meditating on it and being with it consistently, he has become even wiser than his teachers. He has more understanding than the age. Those who have lived and gained massive experiential knowledge in life, decades and decades older than him. He says, your word, Lord, is so good. You are so wise that here I am now, not only am I wiser than my enemies, but my teachers who teach me, your word has advanced me beyond my experience. This is unbelievable. I have knowledge. I, don't, I have wisdom. I don't understand, but it's from you. I meditate on your word all the time. And you've made me wiser than my teachers, wiser than the age, wiser than my elders. I understand more, for I have kept your precepts. Sadly, Israel will neglect these declarations of the psalmist. In Jeremiah chapter 9, even though the psalmist here understands that the Word of God is meant to be meditated, to be treasured, to desire to know the Lord, to know Yahweh personally, sadly, that will not be reproduced in Israel. The nation of Israel will harden herself. And God will send Jeremiah to give Judah the southern kingdom. Remember, we have Israel, and, and they split into a northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. And Jeremiah comes and he proclaims to them this statement in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. Just like what Jesus says, boast that your name is in heaven, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The psalmist believed these things, but in a matter of generations, the nation of Israel would not. The nation of Israel would claimed to be experts in the law, but they would not love the Lord of the law. They missed it. The generations went by, they missed it. How sad that the psalmist was right on, but Israel would miss this and they would forget the Lord. They'd be hardened against the Lord. Now a day will come, we know, when after the fullness of Gentiles are brought in by faith, the nation of Israel will come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. They will worship the true Messiah how many generations have passed in between that time and will pass in between that time? So for you and, and for me, how do we ensure that the generations, how can we make this our desire, our prayer for our kids? If you have grandkids, make this the prayer for your grandkids. Oh Lord, would you bring about in my grandkids' lives, even if you don't have kids yet, even if you don't have kids, pray for future grandkids, pray for other grandkids, that they would come to know the Lord, to treasure His wisdom, to love the law of the Lord that their wisdom would be advanced even beyond ours, beyond their enemies, before their elders, and before their teachers. God, would you do a work in their lives? Pray for our children. Pray for our little ones that truly they would grow in a wisdom among all things, desiring to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in their life, that they would forever, regardless of how old they become, regardless of how many experiences they take on in life, that they would remain as little children before the Lord that Israel had forgotten. A couple practical tools in which I think we ought to take serious as a church body these 
areas we can do this. Number one is if you weren't a part of the, the worship seminar that, that, that Stephen helped to lead and, and leading family Bible studies together, he's, we've recorded those. And they're on the week-to-week. They'll be on the week-to-week. If you don't get the week-to-week announcement, it's a great way to stay in the loop. So uh, in there, there's going to be a link. You can go back and watch those. Here's why I'd encourage you to do so. Because it is good for training your children and to love the Lord. It's good to see the chaos that takes place in reading Scripture with them, to pray with them, to sing to them. They would see what mom and dad, what grandma and grandpa, what aunt and uncle do, what cousin does, in the context of the gathered body, the congregation of the Lord on Sundays, happens at home as well. It's incredible training. I encourage you, take time to watch it. It won't take but a couple hours, if that long. Secondly, functionally, how can we make sure that those children that, that have gone across the street, that are learning, that are singing and doing things, we want to make sure that they are overwhelmed with love. You know, studies have been shown to find out that students that graduate high school and go off to college, those that have that at least five to seven meaningful relationships with adults in the church are far more likely to stay connected to the local church when they go off to college. Those that do not, that church, the congregation of God is just a place to go to, not also with people to know and to walk after the Lord with, are far more likely, exponentially more likely, to cut bait on the local church and experience the consequences that will come in their life for doing so. So here's a practical challenge to you, for me as well. For those of us that have kids over there, if you don't have kids or grandkids over there as well, here's my challenge to you. Would you pray about serving and being a part of what takes place in kids' ministry and pre-K ministry? And then the kids that you see, even if you just serve on a once-a-month basis, that you would try to learn their names. Oh, it's beautiful to learn somebody's name. Somebody said once, that's, that's, the, favorite, uh, that's the favorite name. A young Gail Wyatt told me that once. Everybody's favorite word is their name. And try to build relationships with those kids over there, those kids that are over here that are of us, and pray for them on a regular, weekly basis. But spend time serving serve on a monthly rotational basis. This is what we do. It's who we are. It's, it's one of our premises that we have as a church family, sacrificial service. This is what I do. I serve as the Lord has served me. So I encourage you, sign up. Take that challenge. I'm going to stop or I'm going to start preaching. Okay. All right. So first we've seen that, that the abiding wisdom of God in Christ it will, will make us, will make little children like us truly wise. Moving to the second idea that we have for our lives. The first four verses giving us a picture of what the Word of God does in our life, the wisdom of God of abiding in Christ does in our life. The final four verses flesh out how that takes place. How does it take place in our life? How does the wisdom of God, how does the Word of God shape us as men and women to run after the Lord, to make us truly wiser than our enemies, wiser than our elders, and wiser than our educators? Well, here's how. Secondly, the abiding wisdom of God in Christ is meant to be practiced. It's meant to be practiced, verse 101 through 104. And being practiced, we notice first and foremost in verse 101 and 102 that our teacher provides us with hands-on experience. The wisdom of God is given to us so that we might have hands-on experience. He's a good teacher. Our teacher provides us with hands-on experience, 101 and 102. The psalmist continues on, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. 
What's implied in the first four verses is made wildly apparent in the final four verses. The wisdom of God will not be satisfied to stay in our minds. It must work its way out of our lips. It must work its way through our fingertips into your future dreams and goals for your life, into retirement, into what you do with your summer breaks. The wisdom of God must make its way out of you. It will not be content to stay in. It won't be. It's going to come out. What's the psalmist say in 101 and 102, the very beginning? I hold back my feet. I do not turn aside. Where does he hold his feet back from? From every evil way. In Psalm 1-6, the way of the wicked, the way of the conceited, the, the, those statements that are given in verse 1 and 2, the seed of scoffers, the way of the wicked. In verse 6, it says that their way is the way of destruction. And the psalmist here echoes the same statement that's in Psalm 1. I hold my feet back from evil ways because they are the ways of destruction. He's confessing that there is the way of the Lord, the way of Yahweh, the way of the Torah, the way of the teachings of God, the way of following after and abiding in Jesus Christ. This is the true way. This is the right way. This is the way that I aim to go, that I don't want to stop short. As I'm tempted to go off this way, I want to stop my feet short before I go toward that evil way. And I do not want to turn aside from the left or to the right from your evil ways. Lord Jesus Christ comes and he claims to be this way, the way of the Torah, the way of the teaching, the way of ultimately the prophets foreshadowed. As Jesus told them, oh, they long to look upon me. They long to hear my words. And here you are, little children. You hear me. Follow me. Jesus claimed to be this way, the way. That's who Jesus Christ is. He's the way for our life. Regardless of your circumstance, regardless of the sin you find yourself in, regardless of the entrapments of life, Jesus Christ is the way to the Lord. He is the wisdom of God from above, and He's spoken to us sufficiently in Scripture. The same Jesus who came and lived a sinless life, obeying the full demands of the law, He laid His life down on the cross as a make-right sacrifice for us. He defeated death. He fully kept the law. He loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself perfectly. And he laid his life down as a sacrifice for you and for I. He defeated death and arose again. You and I might have forgiveness and adoption in Jesus Christ by faith. That is the good news. And the Lord Jesus Christ has sent us his Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit, he indwells us and he convicts us and he guides us in righteousness and he helps us to take the word and to apply it to our lives, to our own circumstances, our own situation, to walk in truth for the greater purpose of life, to glorify God and to enjoy him and to walk out the wisdom of God, to be as wise little children in a world that counts wisdom by a totally different standard. That's the goodness of our God. Our teacher provides you and I with constant hands-on experience. That's what the wisdom of God does. The Spirit will not be content within us to not have the Word of God flesh out through our lives. Just as Jesus was not content to allow the 72 to stay back, He deployed them. He deployed them in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. He deploys us. It works its way out through our purpose and our meaning in lives, our purpose in our homes, our purpose in our marriage our purpose in our careers, 
every component of our life that the Lord desires to rule over us for His glory. And He makes beautiful things out of broken things. That's the good gift that the Lord gives us. That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. The wisdom of God is a hands-on experience. What happens when you and I do a hands-on experience? We mess it up. When you and I mess it up, don't make the mistake of listening to the accuser. It makes you think, well, I've, I've messed up too bad. There's no way I'd want to go back and be a part of that church again. There's no way. What are they going to think, about, think of me? I'm going to tell you one word today. I want to make sure it sticks in your mind, and that's this word, door. Door. Doors are, are places of anxiety, aren't they? Matter of fact, I, I'm going to guess if the first time you ever came to this church body, this congregation of Christ, when you looked at the door walking up, you probably felt a measure of anxiety. What are they going to think? What am I going to think? And if you've stumbled in living out the Word of God, you feel anxiety think, there's no way I'll be welcome. There's no way. It's wrong. Word worship service family. We're a family called together to practice the one another's together, to forgive one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to rebuke one another, to grow in Christ together. The faith is meant to be lived out. And in living out, we need each other's help to walk after the Lord Jesus Christ. Doors. Whether it's the door of an office space to go and meet and sit down and talk and, and confess and grow. Door of a coffee shop. Wherever you go, wherever the Lord leads you, the door to your, your home and your neighborhood. Don't be afraid of doors. The Spirit of God goes with you. He desires to give you and I opportunities to live out this word that He's given us. Walk by His word and we're called to do it together as a church family. Word, worship, service, family. Finally, in 103 and 104, our teacher provides us with hands-on experience. And finally, in 103 and 104, our training produces mature taste buds. The wisdom of God matures us. It changes us. 103 104, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, and therefore, I hate every false way. Let's focus on that word, hate. Therefore, I hate every false way. How did he begin this letter in Mim, verse 97? Oh Lord, how I love your word. I love your law. He began by saying, I love your law, and he finished by saying, I hate every false way. That sound familiar? Jesus says no man can serve two masters, or he will love the one and he will hate the other. You can't do it. The psalmist recognizes the allegiance by which the Lord desires of him, of his people, of his little children. He says at the very beginning, listen, my allegiance is with you. My allegiance is with your word. And I love your word, and therefore, because I love your word, the other side of the coin must be, in my life, I will hate every false way that aims to have me and to entrap me. That's the calling that God has in our life. The vigilance to understanding that the evil ways that lead to destruction and foolishness are nothing more than a worm on a hook. Lord, I love your law. Lead me to hate evil ways that aim to capture me and to lead me to destruction. The abiding Word of God in Christ is meant to be practice. Jesus never calls us to come and try Him out. There's no infomercial, money-back guaranteed 
in following Christ. He never said anything like that. He didn't go to his disciples and say, listen, I will make you fishers of men for 90 days, and if it doesn't work, get on back there. It's a call to deny yourself to come and follow me. We talked about Luke 9, 23 at the very beginning. The call that Christ bids us is this famous quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship. He summarizes in Luke 9, 23. It's an incredibly famous quote. You've probably heard it before. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, a woman, a boy or girl, when he calls you, he bids you in your life, you come and die. That quote is etched in history. What I want to read for you is actually the paragraph that that quote rests in. I think it makes it make even a more beautiful full sense. Two sides of the same coin, they cannot be severed. To love the Lord will cause us to hate evil ways. The danger they pose in our lives. Listen to this quote. Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, that following after Jesus, we surrender our lives to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. And thus it begins. Cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And here's that quote. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now listen to this. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man is his call. The psalmist understands his calling to be a little child. Jesus calls his disciples little children. The decision before every one of us every day. The Lord, do I desire to be wise in your eyes or to be wise in the way of the world? I'm your little child. Lead me by your word. That's the goodness of the Word of God. If you're here this morning and you are hurt, you need to be reminded to ask God in the areas of my life where I'm a self-justifier, Lord, would your Spirit search those out of my heart and my life? Would you expose those before me? And bring me to repentance in the line. I want to be a little child, wise in your eyes by your Word not the way of the world. Let me pray for us before we walk through our next steps. Lord, we love your wisdom. We love your wisdom. We want to be able to say like the psalmist that we love your law because we love you. And we want your spirit to reign over us, applying the word to every different circumstance we have in our life a relationship situation that is confounding us, an anxiety that keeps us up late at night. 
God, our desires and our visions for the future, our areas in our past that we're struggling to move forward in. God, we desire our identities to be as your little children. Above all things, to be teachable and humble, to walk after you and to fear you in all of our life. You would grow us in what it means to be those who abide in you. Lead us to meditate on your word regularly, Father. We thank you for the goodness of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our King. He's worthy of our life. So make us, Lord, by your word, wiser than our enemies, wiser than our educators, and wiser than our elders. We pray that for our little ones as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Next steps for application. Next steps before we sing in response. Stephen has chosen, a, I think, a, a perfect song that echoes what ought to be the song that we sing in prayer of response to the Lord together as a church family, as a congregation of Christ. But two next steps. Number one, the wisdom of God, it squashes arrogance, just like when Jesus interacted with the man before he shared the Good Samaritan story. The wisdom of God, it squashes arrogance. And my question is, will I meditate on the Word of God this week, asking the Spirit to reveal any self-justification in my life? The areas where I aim to, to, to choose how I want to live and then to justify my way backwards to God. Will I ask the Spirit of God to show those areas of my life where I do that? And as you do that, take it to the Lord as he exposes those areas in our life where we're tempted to self-justify. And secondly, is there a brother or sister in my life that, that you've seen mature in the Lord? You've seen them grow in the wisdom of God over the last several months or even maybe a couple years. My challenge to you is will you pray about an opportunity and how you might be stirred to pursue them and to encourage them in the faith? to sit down with them, to write them a letter, to have a coffee with them, have them over for a meal and just share, listen, I see the wisdom of God is being poured out in your life. The Lord is maturing you and growing you. What an opportunity for appreciation and celebration of the life of your church family. We can get going so quickly in life that we forget the ways in which the Lord is maturing us and growing us like a faithful gardener over time, reaping a harvest in our life. That's our hope for our lives individually with the Lord. We mature us into a body of Christ that is beautiful as we love one another in the goodness of the gospel. Would you stand together as we sing, make this your song to the Lord this morning.